Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Energy Transition, episode number 52. Our topic today is emission reporting for a brave new world. <laughs> Good morning, David Blackman. Good afternoon, it is Lav and Temi Nimet. Morning. Morning. When we talk about climate reports, what content are we talking about? What topics? Irina, may you start, please? I'm not part of the system for climate reporting, but uh, <laughs> from uh, what I've been reading, uh, it would come down to tracking every company's emissions from its own operations and from the operations of its suppliers and consumers. And that's a lot of information for any company uh, beyond, I don't know, 10 uh, employees that has to be tracked and it will have to be reported. Temi, do you have some idea of the contents of that report? It does. Well, I mean, the ISSB has a planned set of six different types of reporting and two of them they're releasing by June 2023 for fiscal year implementation 2024. Um, and so the first two deal with sustainability in general. So there's lots of general questions that companies have to answer, a lot of qualitative information rather than quantitative. Um, and then the climate related ones gets really into the climate stuff. But again, it's a lot of qualitative. They have to provide scenario analyses that's plotting out the potential future of climate and government policies and regulations short-term, mid-term, long-term. And the expense of these things, um, even really large companies, when they look at the different stuff they have to fill out currently, if they voluntarily choose, for example, the carbon disclosure project framework, there's, I, I think it's 160 pages of information that they have to provide on a voluntary basis. So now they, they wanna make this mandatory and the Carbon Disclosure Project said, well, we're going to adapt or adopt whatever the ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, puts out there. We're going to make that our voluntary disclosure. So companies that currently fill that out for the Carbon Disclosure Project, they will now, if they're not essentially doing it anyway. So it's about getting the companies used to doing this level of reporting and it's it's incredibly complex. There's so many questions to ask. And honestly, I, I don't know, um, accounting wants it to be quantitative, but I would say half of it is qualitative information. So I'm not really sure how exactly this can be construed uh, an accounting measure. Wow, it sounds David. like emissions reporting, sorry, the emissions tracking and reporting is like the easy part. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like climate scenarios and regulations and all that that you you mentioned now. David, any compliment? Any comment? <laughs> well, it, so it's just all part of of the the overall scheme, and it's it's a uh, it's an I mean, as Tammy pointed out, it's this it's this incremental process where you start off with this supposedly voluntary thing 160 pages of, of information uh, on a voluntary quote voluntary basis but it's not really voluntary because if you don't do it yeah. the company that doesn't do it is going to see these esg standards <laughs> measurement groups like uh, in the us SP global does it and a couple of other companies yeah. they're going to get downgraded on their esg scores if they don't do it so there's there's major incentive to do it uh, because if you don't, you're going to be financially punished by investors who don't think your your ESG scores are high enough. This is part of what Elon Musk talks about when he talks about ESG being an evil thing uh, for the business world, and and it's entirely counterproductive because you're taking valuable assets in your company. Uh, who would otherwise be doing productive work uh, to build things and, and produce things for, you know, uh, that American and, and consumers around the world demand, uh, instead spending hours and days and weeks of their time compiling this in for whole departments. This is going to end up creating entire departments within the larger companies and the smaller companies you know, I don't know what they're going to do um, because you don't have the staff capability at a smaller company to, to even begin to to know how to compile some of this stuff. And and so it's not really an accounting uh, function. Uh, it's going to be an entirely new function within corporate organizations. And, you know, I mean, uh, for kids in college, it's going to create entire new things to major in and get degrees in and uh, spend their whole career doing. So I, I guess from that standpoint, it's sort of productive for, for those individuals who will make a living doing it. But for consumers and the companies who make the products that people consume, all it's going to do is create more inflation and more scarcity uh, in our societies in the future. But small companies probably will hire some advisors to write the report. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the best thing to do, I guess, is to create your own consulting firm, right? <laughs> and offer your services. <laughs> yeah, at that's a growth market. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, governments and political entities uh, seem to want to influence these uh, messages in climate reports. And uh, what exactly are the reasons for, for doing this uh, arena, please? Well, the climate ideology. I mean, governments in Europe and the U.S. apparently, especially in Europe, uh, are firmly on track to, you know, do whatever they can to pursue their net zero agenda, regardless of how much it costs for them and for the companies operating uh, on their territories. Uh, I, I just read that Germany would need to spend a trillion euros to fulfill its net zero goals and it would need to build massive amounts of wind and solar, especially solar every single day to, to get there. 
and that's just government plan that's you know uh, that's separate from all the climate reporting the climate reporting push as david said would be highly unproductive first of all let's let's think about all the energy that would go into this <laughs> reporting as tammy pointed out in a conversation if i'm not mistaken a few days ago all this work that needs to be done all this tracking all this scenario uh, writing this takes energy what are we doing with the emissions from that energy consumed to develop these scenarios and to track uh, emissions and to report voluntarily that's a, an additional drain on energy resources which is ironic and then what do you do except increase your energy consumption as a company what you you, you switch from uh, fossil fuels for your operations to wind and solar that have yet to be produced it's really uh, it's not a vicious circle it's a uh, it's a, a very complex vicious construction the way uh, i see yeah. it yeah, there are two um let me show two comments please here grand finale grand finale Cost, costly regulation and compliance is nothing new to governments only now it's intentional control or destruction of capitalism has become blatantly obvious yes and you know anyone who's read uh, all or part of Greta Thunberg's new book understands that this is a I mean it's overtly admitted that this is one of the goals in the climate alarm movement and um so he's right. It's nothing new and it's no big secret, right? I think what is new, though, is the fact that they're trying to extend this globally so that every you you wouldn't be able to escape it. Right. So if your company is operating in the United States and, and it falls under these rules, but then you're like, well, I'm going to go to a jurisdiction that doesn't have quite this level of reporting. You won't be able to move there. It, it'll be. The, the intent is to make it everywhere so that everyone has to at least meet this baseline because the ISSB is trying to create a global baseline from which countries start from there and then can add more. Like, for example, the European Union introduced its um, massive ESG program back in November where they have 16 different volumes of things that like parts of the standards that companies have to follow. And, and they're phasing it in, right? So they start with the big companies first, the mega companies, who then ask their supply chain to just, just provide me what your emissions are, just you guys, right? And so that gets them used to the idea that they have to do it. So five years from now, the small companies will have to do the same similar level to what the big companies are doing, but they've already had five years getting used to providing bits of more information and more information and so on. So, I mean, the EU has this crazy set um and the issb is like well ours is only going to be six instead of 16. so like you know only 400 pages instead of a thousand pages or something but i mean like what what irena and david both commented is that this takes a lot of resources it takes a lot of manpower and you have to think of also what it's going to do to the board because if you see how shell is being treated now where they're personally suing board members for flawed climate plans or not meeting their net zero transition plans or whatever. The plan is that 
board members will have to oversee all of this for which they might be personally held responsible for not filling out personal. all of this crap properly. So it's like the potential for personal litigation has just increased exponentially. And the shell cases is a bit of a precedent setting thing. If they can get it to do that, then they can roll it in for these other things, which is dangerous. Yeah. And, and to the point about it being global, um, you know, we, we say these things, uh, these, these international bodies make these rules for everybody and say it's a global thing, but there always seems to be exceptions made for, quote, developing nations oh. like China and India, the world's second and third largest economies. Uh, I'd be really interesting 10 years from now to look back and see, uh, obviously, the U.S. and Canada and, and Europe are going to adopt whatever this, this international body recommends with their current governments in place. But uh, I'd be real interested to, to see 10 years from now what exactly China and India have adopted uh, along these lines, because I, I suspect it'll be either nothing at all or radically diminished from what we're doing. Of course. Or they pay lip service to it, right? I mean, yeah. they have... Uh, two yeah. or three members on the International Sustainability Standards Board. One of the members is a vice chair. They're going to be opening an office in Beijing this year. Um, and they're kicking out Deloitte and the big four accounting yeah. firms because they say national security interests. So then they'll establish their own accounting firms who will then sign off on whatever these standards say. And, and so then who is going to verify the verifiers in China? <laughs> it is a question of national security if you think about it. I mean, when a government is. is deliberately trying to, to destroy uh, businesses, it is threatening its own national security. It's amazing yeah. if you think about it. Yeah, They're it really trying is. to but, run the businesses into the ground and themselves with them. <clears throat> yeah. But who demands these standards? The population? Who are demanding? That's a really good question. doesn't know anything about it. <laughs> Well, imagine yeah, so, it all germinates from from organizations like the NRDC and the Sierra Club, and uh, you know all these radical probably. organizations, the 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 uh, the people that glue themselves to paintings, and I mean this is where all this nonsense germinates. Uh, universities like Leeds University in in England, and uh, it gets you know, and and people at those organizations are now running the EPA here in the United States and running you know government organizations at the EU and in Germany and all these other countries. And so it, it quickly makes its way into public policy. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's a real pernicious process that I, I honestly don't know how you could ever hope to, to reverse any of it. But it has the support well, of big tech, for example. Right. And yes, the big exactly. And the media. Because it's yeah. business for them. Sure. Well, it's it's also they, they keep saying that the big institutional investors wanted this. So you get the Black Rocks and, you know, <laughs> the people in the World World Business Council for Sustainable Development. They were big behind this. The World Economic Forum, you know, was in on this. They helped craft these standards originally. Um, the C40 group, which is Mike Bloomberg's group, they were pushing for this. So you get these really big guys who say, we want this, we want this for various reasons. And then they sort of say, well, everybody wants this. Investors want it. Investors. And <laughs> it's like, okay, well, which investors precisely are you referring to? And it turns out it's just these big ones. So right. if BlackRock is pushing this, then 
everybody else, I guess, is supposed to agree with it. But when when push comes to shove and you say, well, who exactly? That's who they mean. They mean these big institutional ones who are holding money for use it to push a certain political agenda. And I don't I don't think that's right. David, this question is for sure for you. Small From a, another LinkedIn user who's unidentified, small oil and gas companies went broke trying to meet EPA requirements during the Obama administration. ESG just might put many other small companies out of business. Well, um, I mean, a lot of those small oil and gas companies, to be fair to the Obama administration, were over leveraged. Uh, they were shell producers who had engaged, uh, taken on an awful lot of debt uh, to, to mount aggressive drilling programs. Uh, I worked at one such company that, that went through bankruptcy in 2016 myself. And, uh, you know, yes, the Obama regulations were pernicious and, and burdensome, but the, but the real problem in the industry during those years was was way too much debt and, and not enough and not a high enough commodity price to, to pay it off. So but but I see the point. And, and of course, you know, it's only in this administration is like the Obama administration on steroids and. Uh, you know, uh, their regulatory regime is is much, much more burdensome than anything Obama tried to pursue. That's true. And uh, instead of forcing complex standards, 600 page reports and things like that, would it be better to develop technologies and strategies and very simple way to do this uh, kind of approach? <laughs> Uh, sure, there would be, but but uh, I mean, the whole point is to get all this information to be able to track what everyone's doing, because the whole goal here, and maybe I shouldn't say it, but I mean, ultimately, the goal here is to create a China-style social credit system, and and doing that requires knowing what everyone's doing every minute of the day, and having the ability to track your carbon footprint, and. Uh, this is just a part of that uh, collection of information. And, um, you know, it's all very consistent and are highly organized in our societies. If it's simple, there won't be enough people, enough companies to make money off it. That too, yes. So it has to be complicated. So you need consultants, you need uh, software developers. That's the point. Isn't so doing, doing business seems to be getting more and more complicated, risky expensive yes but much. it's creating new markets the way i see it all these uh, sustainability consultancies that are springing uh, up everywhere ready to to take advantage of uh, this uh, this rush to to report to to track to develop scenarios to you know assess future risks yeah. yeah, and also auditors. So the, one of the interesting things that came up during the ISSB talks about whether or not they were ready to roll out this new standard and National Association of Assurers or whichever group that is said, well, we're not ready. We won't we don't have enough people who are educated enough to give third party um, a certification and auditing of all these standards because they're new and we need training. And they said, well, we can't let that hold us back. So they're thinking, the insurers are thinking it'll be at least two years before they understand it enough to be able to train enough auditors 
to actually comply with the third party assurance that's required. So I don't know what happens in those first couple years when companies will be implement this and they won't be able to get a, a really accurate assurance on it. So I don't know. Yeah. David, uh, the person from LinkedIn that made the comment is Douglas. Oh, uh, the small oil and gas company comment was from Douglas Hardwick. Not sure why the system just said LinkedIn user. I'm not sure either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shows but thank you for your comments. A, yeah, thank you, Douglas. But honestly, I mean, these standards are sort of designed to destroy the oil and gas industry and coal. So I would say if you look at the types of information that they're required to fill out, like, for example, they were debating on whether or not companies should have to provide um, a global warming potential estimate of uh, embedded in a company's reserves. And then they decided, you know what, if we say proved reserves, that's not enough. Companies will have to provide their the carbon emission estimate for their proved and probable reserves. Well, <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. Uh, so I wonder. And now you have to take it, take that into account and be responsible. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah. I kind of wonder how all this will apply to the wind industry, given the new reports that, that have come out in the last week or so, that the real, true carbon footprint uh, of of wind power is approaching the same as coal now, and um, so are they going to be subjected in the wind industry to the same? reporting and measurement uh, requirements that, that oil and gas and coal companies are going to be subjected to, or are we just going to give the them standard, a pass? No. Yeah. Okay. No, of course not. But, but maybe it, it becomes, uh, let's see, mandatory for all the world in terms of, well, it's impossible. Oh, if it becomes, that. if it becomes mandatory for, for all businesses, then maybe wind and solar too will have to report and estimate and assess risks and all that. I mean, otherwise it will be way too obvious that there is a double standard. If you standardize, it, you standardize for everyone. For everything. Yeah. For everything, but it isn't. And, and I think that's one of the key things that's so troublesome is that if you look at what they were versus a hydrocarbon company, the wind company doesn't have to take into account the emissions in their um, the concrete base which is the majority of their oh, emissions. Right. So, right. And it says specifically exempt from reporting on the, 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 the platform that they, they erect the, the wind turbine on. And they also don't have to take into account, you know, the big tall part. They don't have to provide the emissions embedded in that either. Oh, just, just the turbines? Only, only a part of the process. Just the turbines. Exactly. That's it. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Only a part of it. So, yeah. <laughs> SRB. <laughs> does the West expect to prosecute a war with windmills, solar panels, and all the associated nonsense? Well, I don't know. You'd have to ask our generals at the Pentagon, I guess. They, they all seem to be fully on board with all this. So. I'm looking forward uh, to, to the first solar-powered tank. I really, really need to see this. <laughs> I have to. Wait, I have to. I have to recharge. Can we just wave the white flag? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Time out yeah. to recharge. Time out. Yeah. Time David, out. 
And oil companies, David, what are they doing to oppose this adoption? Or, I mean, are, are they doing something for, for that, Irina and David and Tammy? You know, it, it's, um, I mean, God bless them. I, I, I don't see them really doing much of anything, you know, other than the standard operating procedure, the sorts of things they've always done and uh, the kind of advocacy they've always done which has gotten them to this point we're at today. So I'm, I, I, I keep expecting maybe a change in tactic and a reversal, of course, and a real beefing up of budgets to, to try to influence public policy. And yet uh, I just saw a report from one of the, the Washington, D.C. trade associations uh, that's, that noted a, a media report that said that wind and solar and other renewables industries will spend three times the money on lobbying in Washington, D.C. this year than the oil and gas industry is going to spend. Hmm. Well, I mean, and that's just on the lobbying piece. I mean, the, the public advocacy piece, the media piece, is probably even a bigger difference than what the oil and gas industry does. So I don't know how you ever expect to, to even survive, much less win, a policy debate if you're not willing to engage in the fight in any real way. It's like, you know, the oil and gas industries, the Falkland Islands uh, government fighting against the British Empire back in 1982. It's not going to work out well for you at the end of the day. So they're not doing anything real effective as far as I can tell. And I have nothing but the highest respect for the trade associations, uh, but but they just do what their members tell them to do and are willing to fund. Yeah, but whatever the oil and gas industry tries to do will be construed as misinformation, disinformation, oh, sure. and propaganda, big oil propaganda, right. whatever they say, yeah. even when they pledge more investment in wind, <clears throat> solar, hydrogen, whatever, it is still being perceived as, first of all, not enough, nowhere near enough, and then they're just, you know, they're misleading you. They will continue pumping oil and gas. Well, yes, because the world needs it. So the, the, <laughs> there really isn't a, a public debate, is there, David? No, there's it's really like, not, and there never really settled. has been. Yeah, yeah. We, we need to move from fossil fuels, and that's that. They are evil, they're bad, they're responsible for all our emissions, so they need to be phased out, and we will kill the industry by any means necessary. Like a yeah. death by a thousand disclosures or something. Right. I, I oh, wrote a piece a at Forbes last year that basically ended by saying that, you know, the current management teams at these oil companies view their responsibility as managing the, the decline as well as they can. And, and so there's not really any any real notion that they're going to fight back and win, with a few exceptions. You know, I mean, there are guys like Nick Deulius at CNX Energy, who's very much out there in public, and Chris Wright at Liberty Oilfield Services, and those guys who are really making a big effort. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, what the oil and gas industry invests in defending itself is a pinprick compared to what the renewables industries and their allies in the news media <laughs> spend yeah. in demonizing them. And so it's a hard, hard war to fight. This point is very important, Irina. Maybe an artificial, artificial game among media, government, and uh, let's see, lobbyists. No? 
Well, there is no media. If we're talking about the big corporate media, they are just amplifiers for the government narrative. That's what they have become, with certain exceptions in terms of articles, stories, and analysis, not in terms of general uh, journalistic agenda, newsroom agenda. What they're doing is they're amplifying this catastrophizing narrative about climate change and everything to do with it. So I wouldn't really call them media uh, in, you know, in the in the proper sense of the, I'm sorry, but yeah, I'm not trying not to push us, but that's not journalism. Right. That's lobbyism or propaganda. Yes, it's propaganda. You, you will not believe who is following now us. Who is? He, he, yeah, he, he has hey. not time enough Luca. to follow us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Armando, yeah. you made a mistake. Yeah. The real oh, question is what are all companies doing to appease the government? <laughs> There's nothing they can do that will appease the government. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Lucas. Yeah, you're right. Um, sorry for my, well, my mistake. <laughs> you know, in Canada, the, the, the companies are afraid. They're afraid to cross the government. And that's what I hear a lot is that, well, we don't want to say anything that's too strong because it'll be used against us. And I thought, but they're already using everything against you. So why yeah. wouldn't you exactly. stand up and say something? When do you have a good something? media day? When do you have a You'll good have day? With yeah, you know, when Trudeau, you know, I like, don't think you ever have one, do you? No. And for <laughs> example, there's a an oil sands company that has reclaimed a lot of the land that they used for tailings ponds. So they put it back to how it used to be. They consulted with indigenous people. There's buffalo there. It's amazing. Nobody knows about it. And of all course, you hear well. is how terribly destructive it is and so on and so forth. It's like, well, you know, you guys do have a PR budget. Why don't you go <laughs> and talk about it? Spend it on something useful. That one's for you, Arena. Yeah. Yes. Well, thanks, Luca. The media are simply the mouthpiece of the government propaganda these days. Yeah. I, I didn't want to, yeah. to admit it, but I have to admit it because it's glaringly obvious, I'm afraid. <laughs> Yeah. Not oppose, oppose. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> At least. Uh, uh, David, let me ask you um, these standards, if they can be adapted for, for the, the whole world, maybe, is related to presidential administration or is, a, is, is, is something related to political parties? Well, you know, not um, in the United States, I guess you could say there's a distinction between uh, the Republicans and the Democrats. Um, although at the end of the day, the Republicans seem to always manage to lose. So I'm not really sure how meaningful that is. Um, and, you know, there, I mean, there was certainly a stark difference in the in the energy policies of the Trump administration and the George W. Bush administration compared to Presidents Obama and Biden. And um, those, in terms of the executive branch of government, it's a very stark difference. But in terms of what you end up getting out of Congress in a situation like we have today where the Republicans have one house and the Democrats have another, I suspect but before the end of next year, we're going to see another big budget-busting bill be agreed to in both the House and Senate. 
uh, and sent to President Biden's desk related to energy policy. And the Republicans will boast about getting a few little nuggets of things that uh, are wanted by the corporations in the energy space in exchange for several hundred billion dollars more in big subsidies for, for renewables. And so there's not that big a difference. It's not a very stark difference in reality when you look at it over the long term. And uh, and so, I, you know, it's it's got this, this movement has its own inertia. It is. Uh, I found this on the web. Well, gee, my, my watch just decided to, to define inertia for me. I don't know how that happens. Oh. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, it's just, it's this, it's like the, like an aircraft carrier. Once you get it started and it's moving across the ocean, it's, it's really hard to stop it and turn it around. And uh, particularly if there's no, no one with the political will to really engage in the fight. Maybe it needs moving to hit something. This, yeah. Moving across the ocean. So uh, what's the difference for Europe, Irina and Temi in this matter? Well, it's Europe is just than the US, but please tell me. <laughs> the ones really driving it. And so, I mean, they meet, the, the ISSB meets with the people from the Securities Exchange Commission in order to ensure interoperability between whatever the climate disclosure rules the SEC brings in and what the ISSB is doing. And so you have the Europeans saying, well, we're going farther than anybody, um, but we want everyone to kind of be on a similar trajectory. And you're, you made such a great point about the inertia because they so rushed. Why do they need to get this done now? Why do they want it now when normally this stuff takes seven years, at least seven years to go through the different feedback processes and refinements and so on? And one of them said, uh, I think it was the chair, uh, Emmanuel Faber, and he said, we have the momentum now. And we need to capitalize on this momentum. And I think that, you know, there's some, been some pushback. Uh, David, I think you had something about the um, the CEO or the head of Vanguard and said, you know, I, I don't think ESG funds are actually useful and they don't provide a reasonable return and we have a certain duty and so right. on. But in that article in the Wall Street Journal, he also said, I like the idea of these accounting standards. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which so. will end up contradicting everything I just said. <laughs> yeah, and that was his good. virtue signal to the climate alarm movement to, to keep them from jumping all over him for saying what he said in the first place. Right. So how do, how do you fight that? I mean, how do you fight that when these, these yeah. CEOs are so intimidated and so afraid of their own shadow about getting attacked by these organizations that spend hundreds of millions, billions of dollars every year engaging in that kind of activity. How do you fight that? Uh, uh, it's it's really hard. And uh, Well, and they've been training the corporate leaders through the Ivy League schools and the business oh, schools yeah. and so on. So now the hiring that these companies are doing, whether it's hydrocarbon companies or banks or investors or whatever, a lot of the younger people who oh yeah managing these things they believe it yes, so they do. when you have employees within your own organization who are pushing you back from taking a, a reasonable stand on something that's 
then we're in a very dangerous situation, I think. Yeah, but the thing is that inertia, that momentum tends to die out unless there's something to, to keep it going. To keep it and going. reality yeah. is not supportive of this inertia that we're witnessing. Right. And probably that's why they're in a rush to, you know, to, to do as much harm or good from their perspective as they can in the shortest possible time before reality reasserts itself, which it yeah. will inevitably. Yeah, and how's it going to reassert itself? We're going to have an enormous energy crisis in yeah. the next few years yeah. that is going to be disastrous for for Western society. And only then, then and only then, will some of this start to change. Yeah, but before uh, when, that, it will be disastrous people, for developing countries. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 And so, it, you know, when, when we have an energy situation in the Western world that is as disastrous as what Pakistan has been going through over the last year, then we might see all this stuff start to turn yeah. around a little bit. Uh, but until then, it always takes a crisis, yeah. you know, and, and I'm afraid that's what this is going to take too. And we will all be pretty harshly impacted by it. And, and with respect to food as well. So yes. if you have the high energy costs, then you can't produce the food as reasonably or even at all compared to what it was just a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, and we're seeing that in the UK with respect. You're having rationing. And so now the, the BBC and the media are saying people should get used to eating turnips. Yeah. And so the conclusion <laughs> could be... Uh, Climate reports are welcome, but up to 10 pages. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Something a fifth grader can do. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Great discussion today. Yeah. Great talk. Yeah. yeah. Everybody have a good week. Thank you, Irina. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. You too. Bye. Bye. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.